listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from MegaWin Keelguard Studios. Aaron, here we are for another great episode of Bass Edge Radio, buddy. I'm excited. The March 1st episode, banging out another one, 371. What you got, my friend? Well, hopefully a great show, Kurt, because I was kind of perusing the lineup, and we're going to talk some tech stuff. We're going to dive off into some spring fishing, but before we do that, I noticed that you happened to be, I think, maybe at a boat show, and some lucky winner got a MegaWare keel yeah. guard. Yeah, super cool, man. I did a kind of an in-house boat show over at the dealership outdoor specialties that I work with, you know, when I, when I get my Rangers and all that kind of good stuff, and uh, man, it's just a great group of folks over there. They decided to have a uh, kind of a, a just a personal dealer show. So we gave away a lot of stuff. I mean, they gave away a ton of stuff, but it was cool to have MegaWare involved and they gave away a keel guard to one of the lucky attendees. And we gave some seminars. There were several pros there that just talked bass fishing. And it was just kind of one of those great get togethers that perpetuates excitement for the season to get kicked off. Right. Absolutely. And of course, we bring up MegaWare because as most may know, 371 episodes, all of them have been brought in part by MegaWare Keelguard. And Kurt, we're going to be talking a little bit about another one of their products a little bit later in the show. So I'm excited about that. But, you know, like we mentioned, bass season, bass fishing, bass tournaments, whatever you want to call it, is well underway. I know you said you've seen some lizards out there running around. So spring is probably temperature wise (laughs) is a little bit closer at your house than in mine being down in South Texas. But, uh, you know, I saw where eBay our guest that we had on February 1st just killed it down at Rayburn with a big bag and then of course John Cruz did something that's pretty unique. We talked about Dakota and and his numbers of tournaments that he fishes uh, in that episode and man he's just been just strung out on the events right he's got the pro circuit under his belt since then a BBT under his belt a Toyota series where he had a 29 pound five fish limit that was super cool to see and then of course you know fork now under his belt with another BBT event the guy's just non-stop so uh, he's, he's, he's just fun to watch, a lot of fun to watch. But, yeah, as you mentioned, St. John's River, you got John Cruz, man, going wire to wire. That's so cool, especially down in Florida, Kurt. I mean, that is just not easy. It's hard enough to do just in general, right, to put those kind of things together. But, uh, anyway, just happy for John, you know, certainly uh, – kind of a, a veteran or an old guy like me. I'm not necessarily yeah. a veteran. I'm just old, but you know, you're a veteran and old. So I, I <laughs> well, let me say real quick, you know, John took the punches, man. You know, you had John Cox down there, of course, you know, Florida native had a 31 pound bag. I think that, you know, he just wasn't able to capitalize on some of those spawning fish because that last day of the event, it was cloudy and stuff. But then you had uh, Bob Downey, another elite series angler threw another punch at John Cruz with a 29 pound bag on the last day and uh i'm sure just tensions were high for john but like you say just a a big time veteran and uh 10 years since his last win so that was super cool to see him take that title you know talking about big fish aaron what about some crazy big fish catches there at the Bass Pro Tour event over in West Monroe, Louisiana? Were you able to check some of those crazy catches out? 
Yeah. You know, Kurt, I don't know if it's just because of the increase in in exposure and social media, but it seems like we are exposed to more of those now than what we used to be. Absolutely. You got Randy Howe breaking the record. I think it was a 10-10 or 10-11 one day, and then the next day or two days later, there a bussy break in the championship. He catches a 12-13. I mean, what a freaking slaunch. The cool thing about that is the state of Louisiana, you know, the opening that lake – it was donated through a paper mill, right? It was like some old paper mill land or something, and they donated it back to the state, and the state made it basically this bass factory. Kind of just crazy how quickly these big bass just show up when you have these new fertile fresh fisheries. Yeah, I mean, there's not going to be too many times. We talk a lot about the core, right, stepping in. We, we've probably seen the last lakes ever built, right? Thank God for Teddy Roosevelt back in the day with the TVA uh, and that. But, you know, for something like that, the state of Louisiana to do that and then corporate getting involved and kind of being more from a private perspective, again, just providing tremendous opportunity for both the locals and now on the national scene. I mean, and certainly like you speak of, we're seeing the benefits of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we got a lot of benefits coming up in the show, Aaron. Another full slate of great anglers. We're going to have the Bass Pro Tour champion from Louisiana with us today. And and we're also going to continue with that special segment. We're going to talk about some batteries, you know, boat power today, which is so critical. So y'all stay tuned. We've got a tip coming to you right now from protecttheharvest.com. Bass Edge Radio continues. Stay tuned. This episode's ProtectTheHarvest.com Tackle Tip with BASS Elite Series Pro, Brock Mosley. Hey guys, if you've been keeping up with me over the last few years, you know I like to throw a chatterbait. Usually if I'm on camera or doing well in the vent, there's a chatterbait on my front deck of my boat. And one thing I want to talk about is attacking different depths. You know, here in the spring, fish are moving shallow, then moving back out slowly to the depth. So one thing I like to do when I'm attacking, let's say, zero to three foot of water, shallow water, one thing I like to do is my chatterbait is adjust my trailers. I like to use a Yamamoto Seiko. If I'm up there in that shallow water, I like the kicking Zeko. It's got a paddle tail. It don't get as deep in the water column, and it's got a lot more kick to it. That way it stays up in the water column. You can fish it a lot shallower, not have to reel quite as fast. When I'm going a little deeper, let's say that mid-range, three to six, possibly seven foot, that's when I go back to the other Zeko with just a swimming tail, where it just it don't have as much kick, don't have as much stump. It's able to fall a little bit in the water column getting a little deeper i'm able to reel it slower it's one of them things that lets the bait kind of fall back to you a little bit and then you know if i'm going deeper i've even thrown chatterbaits on ledges and one thing i'll do increase the size of the weights you know they got chatterbaits now that go all the way up to an ounce to an ounce and a quarter even bigger one thing i like to do is increase the size and when i throw my bait out there if i'm fishing eight to 15 foot i'll let that bait fall all the way to the bottom and i'll let it fall on slack line that way, I know when my line stops falling, that that bait has reached the bottom, and then I'll just slowly return my tree. So one thing I would suggest, play with your trailers to see what's best at each step for you. Every angler is different. So, you know, those are just a few of the key things that I look for when I'm changing my trailers through the depths is seeing what keeps it up in the water column the best, what lets it fall down the best. Try these tips. And uh, I hope it'll help you catch a lot more fish on chatterbait. There you go. That is a master's class on chatterbait fishing and depth range. Brock, thank you so much. With this tip brought to us by protecttheharvest.com. First by land and now by sea. 
For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Aaron, once again, bringing in another expert. Experts in a newer kind of technology over the last five, six years, and and to some kind of a confusing technology, but something, Aaron, that is critically important for our boats, and that is power. Lithium versus AGM batteries. How much power do we really need to have adequate juice for the cranking battery, graphs, trolling motors? So Bass Edge brings to you Pate Shoemaker from Battery Outfits or Pro Guide Batteries. Pate, thanks for bringing your knowledge to Bass Edge. Hey, thank you so much for having me on today. I'm excited to talk with you guys and uh, talk about power solutions, uh, AGM, lithium, the whole nine yards. Yeah, I appreciate that, Pate, because like Kurt had alluded to there in the introduction, I mean, and, and I know you're an outdoors guy, hunting, fishing, ranching, all the power needs, but specifically, we're going to be talking more along the lines of the bass boat, right? With all of the technology and graphs and everything, the requirements and the demands that are placed on, on the battery supply, I guess let's first just kind of talk about the differences between, you know, the sizes, the group 24, 27, 31. These are, are all available in AGM and lithium. What are those numbers meaning to the consumer? Yeah, that's a great question. As a battery guy, you know, I kind of take that information for granted. What that is, is essentially, uh, it's a, called a group size, and it's just a uniform number for sizing for applications. So, you know, you've probably seen 24, 27, 31, there's different tray sizes. So, Essentially, those are just physical sizes that are then named. And uh, as that number gets bigger, so does your capacity. So does your uh, allocated CCA, your reserve capacity, your amp hours. Essentially, in, uh, back in the day when it was all only lead product, the bigger the case, the more lead you could have inside that battery and the more power you would have. The more lead, the more power, the heavier the battery was, the stronger it was. And, uh, you know, that still holds true today. So with a Group 24 you know, you're traditionally going to be 800 cold cranking amps. That's a good starting battery with a limited number of reserve capacity. So group 27 is kind of where you would jump into the deep cycle side or a bigger starting battery. And then a group 31 would have even more reserve capacity. Traditionally would be a, a deep cycle or even a dual purpose with starting and deep cycle capabilities. So that spans back from the you know, 70s and 80s with a really good flooded lead acid battery and it's transitioned to AGM as well. And that takes place with the lithium too. So is it mm -hmm. is it fair to say that 
I mean, if you can afford the 31s, go 31. Or is there a situation where maybe you want a 27 or 24? Yeah. Yeah. So traditionally with a flooded lead acid battery or an AGM, if you can fit a 31, that's going to be the best bet because you're, you're going to have that available power. Now, there's always circumstances where maybe your fishing style doesn't need that much energy and you could get by with 27s or even 24s. And again, it really comes down to the ratings on the battery that you're looking for and your, and your fishing needs. It's not so much of this guy's a group 27 customer a fishing style is a 27 or a 31. But nine times out of 10, if you can have more capacity, that's going to be the best solution. But it's not always the case, depending on your fishing style. So, and it, But like you said, it does translate to lithium. The interesting thing about lithium is that as a chemistry and a battery type, it is far more energy dense. You can fit so much more capacity in the same size cases. Traditionally, you would get a, an AGM, uh, and I'm going to use... There's different terminologies that, that are out there, like reserve capacity, cold cranking amps, uh, amp hours. So cold cranking amps is really just the number for starting, and reserve capacity is the number of minutes it runs at a specified amperage. Traditionally, it's 25 amps. So that's a term that was used on the flooded side, but when you move to AGM and you move to lithium, there's really nothing that's any more listed in reserve capacity. It all translates to amp hours. Okay. Yeah. So with a group 24 and a lithium, for instance, you might have a really, really good AGM that's rated at, uh, let's say, 75 to 80 amp hours. And that's a good group 24 AGM battery. You could fit 80 to 120 amp hours in a group 24, depending on the chemistry type the type of the cell, the physical size of the battery management system. And in that same size case, you could have a lot more energy, which is great. Sometimes there's other reasons why you would push that up to a 27 or even a 31. And a lot of customers are used to buying a 31. So they're looking at that size saying, okay, I want this and uh, all of the, the features that come with it. They have this, that size trays already and so on and so forth. So lithium as a whole, is far more energy dense and uh, the different group sizes are really just based on industry standards when it comes to lithium, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it does. So would it be fair to say that if I'm looking at amp hours in the lithium world and I'm looking at the, mm -hmm. you know, like you say, old school lead flooded acid, you know, reserve minutes or minutes of that's running, which I've learned something already that it's a standard 25 amp draw. That's what gives you the industry standard of mm -hmm. reserve minutes is the amp mm -hmm. hours and reserve minutes really kind of not saying it's a apples to apples comparison. In, but it's kind of reflective of the same uh, draw of power that's available through that particular battery. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, sir. So it's just two different ways to rate the amount of energy that battery gotcha. can deliver over a determined amount of time. Gotcha. So going back, like you said before, maybe an angler doesn't need a 31 group size battery. Maybe they can get away with a 27 or a 24, depending on what their functionality is, their fishing style, mm -hmm. maybe how much they're using their particular product. Also in this situation, then the more amp hours I have, I'm getting a more robust piece of power and more mm -hmm. reserve minutes. I'm getting a more robust piece of power for my boat. Would that be correct? Yeah, that's correct. And that brings a great point. Depending on your fishing style, uh, you know, if you're out there just really running the banks really hard and you're using a ton of energy, you're going to want as much amp hours as possible. Yeah. And, and how that plays into the life of that battery for, for you, the angler, is the higher the amp hour means that the lower or 
the depth of discharge is taken. So for instance, if you had a, um, say you had a 70 amp hour battery and you needed 60 amp hours to get through the day, just hypothetically speaking. So every day you go out there that you fish and you're taking 60 amp hours out of the 70 amp hour battery, you are really taking that battery down to a really low depth of discharge. Okay. And if you had a group 31 that was say 100 amp hours and you took 60 amp hours out, you'd only be taking it down to 40%. And the lower you take that depth of discharge, so the lower you empty that tank, mm -hmm. the less cycles overall you're going to have. And that's for lead acid, that's for AGM specifically. And for lithium, it does uh, equate the same way, but the number of cycles that lithium can provide comparatively is just so astronomical that the common angler wouldn't notice that. But especially when it comes to a flooded or an AGM battery, if you're really cycling batteries hard, that higher amount of amp hours is going to allow that battery to recover better, and you're going to have more cycles over the life of that battery. Yeah, that's that's good stuff, which leads me to kind of a, I guess, a, a question for you, Pate. You know, the, the lithium technology, none of these batteries are, are cheap, right? And, and so that's kind of why we're coming to you for guidance. Right. Um, right. You know, specifically on the Bass Edge boat, we've got the power pull charge system, right? Which you can mm -hmm. direct power, you can convert it, um, it comes right off the when the big motor's running, but then also uh, another, which I would like your opinion on, uh, one of our other partners, MegaWare, makes what's called a battery guard, which is kind of a spongy mat that goes for shock resistance and just the abuse, you know, the batteries take within yeah. a bass boat. Yeah. Do those mm -hmm. things help, uh, in your opinion, from what you're seeing? Do you have some real experience on improving and kind of uh, maintaining, you know, the life and getting more longevity out of the batteries? Yeah, absolutely. So there's two things that kill... And, uh, and I'll speak in traditional format because I understand that most customers don't have lithium yet. Um, so it, there's two things that kill flooded and lead acid batteries quickly. It's heat and vibration. There's a lot of things that do, but those are the two biggest things that can really hurt a battery over time outside of just not being charged properly. So to answer both of those questions, we do like that MegaWare tray insert that reduces the vibration. That is a good thing to add into any boat. Uh, and really any application, frankly, that anytime you can reduce shock and vibration, you're going to have a, uh, a battery that's going to last longer. To speak specifically to the PowerPole Charge, we've met with those guys. That is a fantastic uh, piece of technology, a great product. We really like the way that it integrates with multiple chemistries and the way that that can be configured. We've seen guys that traditionally maybe uh, some anglers that fish are really hard, maybe on the elite uh, tour or a major league fishing guy, that say traditionally had ran AGMs and with the continual improvements and desires for more on the electronic side, you know, three or four years ago, a set of AGMs would, would be perfect for their application. But today, maybe running five graphs uh, and a live scope or two, you know, one AGM battery isn't going to cut it. But when you pair that with a PowerPole charge, we've seen guys that um, uh, have a, a much better success story they can fish all day. The low voltage alarms don't go off. So we, we do like that product. We like how it charges and how it uh, diverts power. The little jumpstart feature is pretty cool too. So we do, we do like that product. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Paid so much information available uh, about this, but really mm -hmm. it, it comes down to the consumer, what graphs they have on the boat, if they're running, you know, AGMs or lithiums, what's what's an upgrade that's suitable for them? Maybe it's an AGM cranker and, and three lithiums mm -hmm. or, or, you know, there's so mm -hmm. many types of configurations. And, and that's why we're having this conversation because yeah. it can be a confusing. Yeah. You, you guys there at Pro Guide Batteries, you've got a great distributor network to where consumers can go 
and get the information on hand. I think, you know, when you get things online, there's a lot of information out there and and some yeah. of it yeah. may not be applicable to every consumer. If a, if a consumer mm-hmm. really is interested in, in taking power to the next level, which I think most bass anglers and, and particularly serious bass anglers are interested in because of all the technology that needs power on our boats these days, what's the best way for people to find information and, and get this dialect going kind of in an in-person, personal basis for this product, ProGuide Batteries? Because you guys offer it all, AGMs, lithiums. You you have every imaginable product that, that maybe an angler would need in the, in the source of power. No, that's right. And what we as a as a battery company and a battery distributor what we want to do is is provide the customer with the best experience possible and we believe that is through your traditional dealer network whoever you buy your boat from whoever services your boat we've just seen too many times where there's just a lot of information out there and and maybe that consumer doesn't get exactly what they're looking for so our dealer network um is extensive here in the midwest and we really try to push the customers to that dealer network because we know that they're going to get the highest level of service possible. If you don't have a dealer network that you uh, are a dealer that you work under, you know, you can always shoot a message uh, to us at ProGuideBatteries.com. There's a contact page. We're available on all forms of social media. We're really quick to respond to those. If we can, if we can help you find a dealer, great. If we're not familiar with your geographic location, you know, we can walk through, you know, Hey, here's what the best looking scenario would be for your setup. Uh, we're, we're constantly asking or getting asked questions about, hey, I've got two Garmin's up front, one on the console and uh, a hummingbird here at the dash as well. Uh, and one, you know, live scope. And what, what do I need? And um, people are looking for just a quick answer. And the reality is, is it's not. There's not one. <laughs> right, There's not right. one. There's not one. And every customer is a little bit different. So getting that level of service from your local dealer is what we push. We can provide that through the internet, but we, we just truly believe that you can be better taken care of through your local ProGuide dealer, and we can assist in any way possible. But yeah, there's there's so many different scenarios. What I would say today, what we're seeing, uh, we're extremely proud to partner with um, a lot of touring anglers this year, and we've put together a lot of different power packages that uh, give the consumer and the touring angler a lot of confidence in what they have. So Traditionally, what we're seeing right now, if you were to say, what's the best setup for a guy that's that's really loaded with electronics is we still believe that an AGM starting battery is the best choice, depending on your electronics load. If you're running over three large graphs and a a live target or live scope or or any of those type of uh, active targets, excuse me. uh, They draw a lot of packages. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you're running that, we would say that if you have an AGM battery, pair that with a power pull charge. If you don't have a power pull charge, maybe look at a standalone accessory battery. We're seeing that become super prevalent this season. We're putting that together a lot. And then depending on your fishing style, you can look at either the PGL 24M75, which is a group 24, 75 amp power battery, or you could step up to the uh, 31M100, which is a group 31, 100 amp power lithium on the trolling motor side. And even on that accessory battery, we have a group 24, 50 amp power and that group 24, 75 amp power. And that's been tested for the last um, the last couple of years now. Our lithium product is not one that uh, we just found somebody that sent us an email saying, hey, would you like to sell lithium batteries? Uh, we vetted multiple factories. We've been testing product for over five years. We've been testing this specific product for over 
uh, two and a half years, we designed every aspect of our lithium battery from the terminals to the cell housing to the battery management system. It's really, a, it's been a passion project for me because I've seen just a lot of customers that bought into a battery thinking that it was going to solve all their problems and it created more. And, you know, as a battery nerd, uh, I just, uh, man, it just really bugged me. And I wanted to create a product that would actually solve problems. So, you know, that's what we set out to do with ProGuard Lithium. And uh, we've got some really, really fantastic partners and uh, have had a really successful launch. And uh, just look forward to helping more customers get what they want, which is to not think about their battery. Uh, you know, that's what, that's what we know at the end of the day. You want to go out, you want to go fishing. You don't want to worry about power. You don't want to worry <laughs> right. about that stuff. So, Absolutely. yeah. All right. Well, Pate, uh, great stuff there. So many more uh, topics that we could cover, perhaps warrants an, another, uh, you know, sequel to this conversation. But in the meantime, uh, we definitely encourage everybody to go to ProGuideBatteries.com. Any closing thoughts on the topics that we mentioned there, Pate, before we kind of go on to our, our next segment? No, I appreciate you guys having me on. I love getting good information out there. So if anybody has any questions regarding specific battery technology or anything like that, you'd be happy to shoot us a message at ProGuideBatteries.com, the contact us page, or Instagram uh, or Facebook. We are active there and respond quickly. So be happy to help. Again, guys, really, thank you so much for having us on. Absolutely, Pate. Thanks for being here. Y'all stay tuned for the featured angler in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. We'll be right back after this message. This is MLF Pro Circuit Angler, Kyle Gillis. I'm Pro Angler, Bill McDonald. This is MLF BPT Pro, Jacob Wheeler. This is MLF Pro Circuit Angler, Kyle Cordiano. I am Pro Angler, Cole Floyd. Stay tuned for more Bass Ads Radio. Know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare KeelGuard. Excited to have back on the show a veteran in the Bass game. Spent many years on the BASS Elite Series. Actually took a Rookie of the Year crown over there when he was just a young dude. I mean, like crazy young fella. But uh, now he's competing on the MLF Bass Pro Tour. Picked up his first big national win last month in Louisiana at stage one of the BBT. Stoked to have Bradley Roy on this episode of Bass Edge Radio. Awesome to have you again on Bass Edge, Bradley. Yeah, man, it's good to be back, especially under this circumstance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Every day you're in the winner's circle is a good day. And, and certainly, Bradley, we are uh, glad to have you. It's like you said, under these circumstances and enjoyed watching you get that Bass Pro Tour win. Before we get straight into kind of your tournament day approach to win that event, I'd like to really dive into your preparation and how it may help you achieve this success and also future successes. What was your practice like there on Bussy Break? 
Yeah, so we actually fished three different bodies of water in that event, which, you know, it's kind of a unique format in and of itself. You know, we fished Lake Darbone for our qualifying round. So you got to survive it just to even move on. Then we did Caney Creek Lake for the knockout and then Busty Break for our championship. So for me, this was a, an event that I really had to do a lot of research for. Uh, I wasn't familiar with any of those bodies of water, you know, beforehand. And to me, I, I really felt like I needed to get down there before the cutoff. You know, most of these professional level tours have a 30-day cutoff or somewhere around that, like a four-week cutoff of you can't be on the water during that time right before the tournament. So ours right. is no different. I jumped down there just a couple days right before our cutoff and actually went and scouted around on, on Lake Darbone. And, and really, for me, it was about getting around. You know, Lake, Lake Darbone is you know, the, where the qualifying round was was super hard to get around on. They've got one boat lane that goes to the main channel. It's just super hard to get around on. So I, I did a lot of preparation there, just figuring out how to get in and out of the back, you know, a lot of these places where you might catch a bass. And then beyond that, just trying to, to get to know Caney and Bussy because what was interesting and made this challenging is each place was different. So Darbone uh, was shallow, cypress, docks, you know, really shallow water fishing. And those were not Florida bass, to my knowledge. They were not Florida stream bass. And then we went to Caney Creek, uh, it's got some offshore structure, you know, got some grass. It is a Florida strain bass lake, got some huge bass in it, but it gets a lot of pressure. And then we go to Bussy, which is basically a 20, I think it's about 2,200 acres or something, and it's flooded, flooded cover everywhere with Florida strain bass in it as well. So each venue is so different. You know, just every bit of research that I could do within the bounds of our, our rules, I did it because... I felt like I didn't need to be behind the eight ball on this one, so to speak. Right. Especially the first term coming out of the year, you're probably, everybody's extra fired up, right? I mean, it's, it's the new start, new beginning, fresh waves. And, and, you know, obviously you qualified for Red Crest, uh, you know, coming up here in, in March and you're looking to do it again, obviously for next year. So let's talk about fish behavior perspective, man, brutal cold front right before this tournament kicked off. And, and a lot of us, you know, anglers, it can be a tough condition, especially with shallow water fisheries. But a uh, brutal cold front, even the uh, organization MLF decided to basically eliminate a practice day because it was so cold out there on the lake. So certainly that had to kind of excite you maybe a little bit because you did such a great job in pre-preparation and pre-practice before that off-limits period. But what changes did you feel like you had to make because of this cold weather scenario that really made what what I would consider a tough fishing condition there on Diarbo. Yeah, it really was. You know, one of the conditions-wise, one of the toughest events that I can remember, and the weights, I think, reflected that. You know, the top end was pretty heavy, but through right. the field, it was kind of hard to get a bite. And, you know, water temperatures were, especially at Darbone, and then uh, as we moved on, they barely got to 50. Most of the time, that water temperature was just in the upper 40s. And for that part of the world, that's super cold. I mean, guys up north, I was talking to some guys, you know, up north, they're like, well, that ain't no big deal, 45. I'm like, yeah, to your fish, you know, in Michigan or whatever, 45 is, you know, go time. But when you're talking about Louisiana, you start talking about 45, 46 degree water temperatures, in three, four, five foot of water, that's a tough deal. And for me, you know, what I tried to focus on is I tried to get in areas that I knew had bass. And I know you think, well, you always want to fish around an area that's got fish in it, which is what we always sure. strive to do. Right. What I was trying to do is make sure I had myself in an area where I knew there was a population of fish and I didn't want to, I wanted to eliminate that variable of running around everywhere because it was really simply about trying to get one to bite because they just weren't in a good mood because the water was so cold. So I stayed in areas that I felt like had a higher population of bass in them, and I just tried to figure out ways to get those fish to bite. 
Yeah, it's, that's great stuff, Bradley. And one of the other things, you know, when you look back and you've put it all together, right? That's a beauty of hindsight. Help us live vicariously through you. What would you say were key instinctual moves or moments that really helped propel you to that state title? For me, even trying to get in some of those areas, like I'll give you the rundown through Bussy Break. So we were actually not allowed to go practice Bussy Break. On one of our off days, we had what we call like a four-hour ride through. Basically, you put the boat in, you can get no rods out, you can just ride around the lake and look at it. And you kind of have to make your assumptions or your educated guesses off just what you can see with your electronics in your eyes. Kind of a neat dynamic to our championship rounds a lot of times. But for what I saw, I found one area that you know had a little shallower water, had some deep water with it too. And it had a different variety of bushes, trees, stumps. And then it also had some scattered grass. And it was the only place on the lake I saw that was like that. So to me, in my brain, I thought, well, this is an area that's got options for these fish. Well, coming back and actually fishing the championship round, I started in that area. And for the first, I think, hour, I didn't get a bite, but nobody else was getting bit either. And finally, I did get a bite. But staying confident, knowing, man, this area's got what it needs. I just need to stay in here and, and really figure out how to get a bite because my instincts and everything was telling me that there's fish there because you have to balance that out. Now, if the water temperature had been 65 and I wasn't getting bit, maybe it's time to move on. But when you're talking about water temperatures in Florida strain bass and it's 48 degrees, you might be around them and they may just not be biting. So you kind of have to balance that out with when do I stay, when do I go type of thing. And for me, it was about having confidence in the areas that I picked, knowing there's fish there. It's simply about trying to get them to bite even with the cold water temperature. Yeah. Interesting scenario there on Brussy Break that you can't really fish from a pre-practice or, or a practice, you know, right at the event standpoint. Although D'Arbone, you know, obviously you had that opportunity. You talked about being in some areas that had fish. What gave you the instinctual clue that they were there? Was it that you caught fish there, you know, in pre-practice and just knew it was a general area that held fish on the lake? Or was it something that you saw in the actual event that, you know, whether it was, you know, seeing some activity on your on your forward facing sonar or what was it that led you to concentrate on specific areas at that DR bone level? So it was really kind of twofold. When I came down for my pre-practice, you know, a month ahead of time, I fished in that area and I got some bites. You know, I, I got a few bites. It wasn't anything spectacular. Uh, but I did get a few bites. Well, it was an area that I had noticed on, you know, Google Earth and through looking at my mapping. It was the back third of a creek that had super great looking spawning stuff around the bank. The water was about a foot low, but I knew that those fish would, you know, had cypress and docks and some grass up on the bank. You know, uh, when the water rose up, I knew those fish would spawn in the back of this creek. And it was really probably the biggest or one of the biggest feeder creek on the lake. So that, that obviously would tell me as an angler that there's probably some fish in that creek because when you got a major creek like that, there's usually some activity in it. There you go. And then you could look up on the bank and see where they were going to spawn. But out in the middle, four or five foot deep, there were several ditches that kind of drained out of the back of it and filtered through this scattered cypress stump field. And I think those fish were just simply holding while they wintered out in there around those stumps because there's depth. They've got some little channels. I would actually use my active target on my Lorance and would look ahead of me and I could kind of see because those ditches were real narrow. And I could see where, like, a cypress would be sitting on the side of that ditch, and it would be a foot or two deeper. And those seemed like they were a little more key than the rest of them. But what tied it all together is the first morning of practice, uh, I went in there, and it water temperature 45, 46, I mean, super cold temperatures. And I pulled in there and got a bite. So that told me they were here a month ago. There's still some fish here. It's got all the characteristics of a 
pre-spawn area to hold bass and that just kind of made it all click for me and i knew that if the water did warm up there should be more fish that would pull in there and that's key as an angler you always want to try to be ahead of the game not behind it if you can be be somewhere where they if they did start to move they would move to you not away from you right right I tell you what i, w- I want to pluck something out of that information you just provided the listeners because i think there was one really key element and we talk a lot obviously about forward facing sonar live scope live target the whole gamut of everything that's going on out there with this forward facing sonar and we talk a lot about seeing brush you talked about seeing cypress and and seeing fish obviously in general one thing you mentioned there that was really key and oftentimes people wonder just how effective this can be in shallow water and that is you noticed the ditches and the drains and that you know you can actually see those with that forward facing sonar so you're not guessing anymore well does the creek channel run this way or that way you basically just move in the the head of that trolling motor and you know exactly where the deepest part of that little ditch or creek channel is and it sounds like that was kind of one of those keys for you reading between the lines would you agree with that and how effective do you think forward facing sonar is in shallow water for anglers that just aren't quite sure it's a big tool you know and probably even more this week even opened my eyes more to it than i knew i'd obviously used it in shallow water but this week was just it's amazing the, the tool is a great deep water tool but man what it allowed me to do i mean these fish i'm fishing a lot of the same trees over and over and over again and so what happens is being stealthy moving your boat around stuff like that becomes a big deal because you have to allow these fish to set up so they'll bite well if you're constantly getting too close and spooking them or or not putting your bait where you need to all the time, you're not going to get those bites. So what all that did, like I probably would have still got bit if I hadn't have had it, and I would have probably fished around that ditch. But we're not talking about a ditch that runs straight, just drains out and makes, you know, just a straight line. It made all kinds of curves, you know, and it would kiss up against certain sides of those cypress trees. And what I was able to do is looking, you know, 60, 70 feet out in front of the boat, even in four foot of water, I could see before I ever got to it which side of the cypress I needed to pitch to, which side was the shallow side, which side was the deeper side. You know, and thinking, you know, early pre-spawn fish, you know, late winter, early pre-spawn fish, those fish probably want to tend to hang on that deeper side. You know, I would pitch where that active target was telling me to pitch. All that does is makes me more efficient as an angler. Uh, it doesn't put the fish in the boat for me, but it, it just increases my odds and makes each cast a little better. And without a doubt, it was a it was a big deal for me. Great point. Before we go to break, the final day at, at Bussy Break, uh, I noticed basically every angler was fishing, you know, pretty shallow, flipping wood. Sometimes you'd see an angler, you know, throw a moving bait here and there, vibrating jig, swim jig, something of that nature. Maybe a maybe a little shallow running crankbait or something like that. You know, you're on a small impoundment, two thousand acres. You can see all other 10 guys, I assume, right? Or at least you you can kind of break through them over the top of some of those bushes. (laughs) Right, yeah. You stayed dedicated. You had a great first, second period. Third period, obviously, it wasn't as good for you, but you had built such a a solid lead that they they weren't able to catch you. Um, Did it creep in your mind to change your focus of attack, or did you just feel like you were still in the best place to continue focusing on, on those shallow bushes and flipping in that kind of pattern it did creep in my mind to change i mean we battle that as an angler absolutely but i had been you know stretches without a bite before and there was kind of one key area of that little section i was fishing that i'd really gotten most of my bites from and what would happen i kind of would go through it and get a bite or so and i would kind of drift off and fish a little while try to let it just rest and then go back through it and it seemed like i could get a bite 
Well, what happened really in the last period for me is there was a lot more boat traffic in there, you know, locals, and then there's other anglers. And it, like I said, 2,000 acre lake, small lake. That stretch really never got a break. And I think those fish were obviously feeling the pressure for me and other anglers. I probably should have either downsized a little bit just to get another bite or two in that last period, or I should have tried to go duplicate that somewhere else. But in game time, you know, we, we talked yeah. about hindsight earlier, earlier. In game time, that's a tough decision because absolutely as time expired, I looked on and I said, man, you need one bite. And I knew if I got a bite, it probably was going to be a four or seven pounder. I mean, that's the way that everybody's bites have been <laughs> right, right. in that area. And I'm like, I'll get one more bite. You know, of course, I, I didn't end up doing it. It didn't need it, thankfully. But probably looking back, I should have either done one or two things either kind of downsized on my tackle a little bit or either tried to go duplicate that somewhere else gotcha yeah i think it's always interesting to kind of just take a peek back and and see that because maybe you know we learn from those things or just kind of understand some different uh, aspects that could have potentially crept into into place but the key was you still came out on top so that was that that was the key (laughs) well let's let's uh take a short break we're gonna power pole down Bradley, hang right here. We're going to pause for some messages from our partners, Bass Edge Radio. We'll be right back. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio is presented in part by Mercury Marine. Go boldly, returning with MLF BPT Angler Bradley Roy in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store. It works. Bradley, certainly other people in, in other parts of the country here in March are going to experience, you know, some of those final cold fronts throughout the year and, and kind of have that same fish behavior scenario that you saw there in Louisiana at that BBT event. I remember, you know, growing up in Virginia, we would always have some crazy, weird March cold front before spring finally sprung. I'm sure there in Kentucky, you see that all the time in March as well. But um, lure selection and how you change it up throughout the time, you know, Diarbone on that stumpy impoundment, Caney, and then obviously Bussy Break fished probably a little bit similar to Diarbone because it's so shallow, but Caney fished a little differently. How are you going to change up and what kind of tactics do you like to utilize from a lure perspective, retrieve perspective when you're targeting these, you know, pre-spawn fish that, that have just been kind of knocked back? Right. So, you know, one of the things that I felt like that week, you know, super cold temperatures, we had a really, for lack of a better term, crappy cold front that just, you know, hit us right before that tournament. (laughs) To me, what happens is, you know, our most favorite times to fish, you know, everybody loves to go out there on big spinnerbait, you know, crankbait when they eat a vibrating jig. Those fish are active. You know, those fish are really in a good mood. We love catching fish like that. We've all had those days. But the fact of the matter is we can't do that all the time. We just simply can't, we can't set it up where a tournament lands on those days. So whenever you go out and the and the cold fronts come through and as spring progresses, the cold fronts will matter less. But especially in that, you know, late winter, early pre-spawn period, it's really easy for them kind of to revert back to their, their winter habits where they just kind of get in a bad mood again. And I did two things. I tried to, when I was presenting bait uh, without trying to get a reaction, I tried to present a, not a very invasive bait. And what I mean by that is, 
you know, a lot of times I'll pitch a crawl with a big flapping trailer or a jig with a big flapping, you know, chunk on the back of it or something. You know, I caught a lot of them flipping a trick worm. You know, just a six-inch trick worm. It's a bait that every bass in the lake will eat when it sees it, but it's just not real loud, doesn't move a lot of water. And I felt like that was something that if those fish, you know, saw it, it wouldn't be so invasive or so intrusive that they wouldn't eat it. On the flip side, when I went to to the knockout round on Caney, you can take the other approach to it when fish are a little lethargic, and that is simply to get a reaction bite. And to do that, you're going to need to go to the extreme, which I did a lipless crankbait. We all know Florida strain bass or even bass in general, when you get them around a little bit of grass, uh, water temperature, upper 40s, low 50s, a lipless is a great way to do it. And what happens, those bass are sitting up there, they're not really in a great mood, and you bring this loud crazy thing bomb that looks edible and you get it hung up and rip it out and you cause them to make a bad decision because they have just seconds to do it i had two schools of thought i guess is what i'm trying to say but i think that's what you have to do when you're faced with you know kind of adverse conditions Bradley, obviously we've determined, you know, three different bodies of water, different even kind of strains of bass. Uh, Caney, focusing a little bit on that, tends to, in in my opinion, is probably a a little deeper, clearer lake from your description. Bait selection there, can you touch on that a little bit of, of, you know, when you get into deep water situations, how much does that change? And then also touch a little bit on your mental piece on when you're preparing, right, and you're loading the boat and you're going to these different lakes. Do you just kind of take a little bit of everything, or did that mess with your brain uh, at all? <laughs> yeah, so I'll, as far as taking a little bit of everything, I take everything with me every day because you just <laughs> simply don't know what you're going to get. It, You know, you try to narrow it down, but especially in this format. So what Caney was interesting to be different uh, from the other two was, you're right, it was clear water, and that was basically because it has some grass. Hydrilla, uh, I think I saw a little coontail, even some eelgrass. That filters the water a little more, so you're going to have a little cleaner water. Didn't have as many stumps. It was easier to run around on. A lot more depth. You know, you had some humps, and, you know, creek channel dropped off way out there. Uh, and I actually, going into that day, I was planning on using my active target, you know, and fishing for some of those deeper fish, you know, those fish that were in you know, let's say 12 to 15, 18 foot of water. You saw a lot of anglers take advantage of that too. So, you know, as you mentioned, there's you know always several patterns going on. Did you see some of that in practice as far as potentially, it sounds like you thought about targeting some of that water. I did. That's, that's what I started doing. And I, I caught several right off the bat that just, you know, they had to be two pounds to score and I couldn't get one. Uh, all the big ones I saw, I never would commit. So, as I fished through and weren't, wasn't getting any bites, I made my way up the lake a little bit, and there was an area where I'd gotten some bites out deep and knew it had grass shallow. I hadn't got any bites in the grass in practice, but the wind was started blowing from the southwest. Uh, it was just kind of crashing in on that grass, and I was like, man, it looks really good. And So I, I reached down and grabbed my lipless, and just 10 yards or three or four casts into casting into that grass, I had a 310 eat my bait, and I was like, well, that's cool. Uh, let's see if it could happen again, and it didn't take long. I uh, just kept ripping that, you know, that lipless bait out of the grass and I got a, like a five pounder to eat it. So then I've got a pattern. I'm forgetting about all that deep stuff. And I was simply just running, trying to find where the wind was blowing into that grass. And that's where I ended up getting my bites that day. What were some of those deep bites that came on early in your day that didn't score? You know, if, you, if you're up shallow and you're just not getting bites, you don't run into those fish like you, like you did up there in that grass. How would you tell some Bass Edge listeners to target some of that deeper brush or, or channel drops and, and that type of thing that you're talking about? 
So for me, it was you know, I had like a Carolina rig tied on, and a Carolina rig kind of gets a bad rap. I mean, it, you know, everybody calls it the old ball and chain, but <laughs> right, uh, right. especially in, in that part of the world, but really anywhere I've ever been in the country, a Carolina rig is a bait that will get a bite and it will get a big bite. I was throwing a Carolina rig, throwing a drop shot, uh, and then there were some fish that would suspend over that brush, and I was throwing a deep running jerk bait for those as well, which I think was three pretty good options to get bit. I just didn't get the quality bites right away that would have locked me into that. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. Uh, Bradley, you've competed in so many events in your career, man. You've been doing this, even though you're still fairly young fella, but you've just been at it a long time. You started so early in life with this uh, professional fishing and, and fishing on national tours. What do you feel like is the key to being able to put yourself now that you've accomplished a big national tour win to put yourself in position to win these big events do you find there's a large difference in an approach is it momentum believe me i know it's difficult to put a finger on but it's such a potentially valuable question to be answered right it it is and i think that you know obviously i think about that a lot as a competitor i'm like man what what was different you know you try to analyze what was different and oftentimes i don't think it's a lot different i think it's little things that make the difference you know obviously this event i put some practice time in and some research but i do that for most other events as well so i think you have to do all the right things to the best of your ability and try to put yourself in position you're not always going to catch them you're not always going to make the cuts you're not that's always going to go your way, but you have to do everything that you can control because in fishing, you and I both know there's so many variables that we can't control. Control what you can control um, and then and then just try to let the rest of it, I guess, fall where it may. But for me, it was just about trying to cross the T's and dot the I's that I can control and keep myself in that position. And if you do it long enough, you're sure going to win. And another thing, too, is it's funny. I we talked about this in another uh, interview after I won was, was confidence and, and momentum. It's funny that that spills over to fishing. If if you go out and you're fishing, and I, I speak a lot to high school anglers and the younger generation, mm-hmm. if you go out and you think you're not going to catch one, by golly, you're not going to catch one. Right. You have to, you know, and it, it's hard sometimes when you're competing on bodies of water where you had a tough practice. And I know people have heard this over and over from pros, but some of my best tournaments have came from bad practices. You just have to keep an open mind. You have to fish confident, and you have to know and be confident in your abilities that, hey, if I get around a bass, I'm going to catch you. And I think that it's a lot more mental than we want to let on like it is. Yeah, good stuff. You know, that's it, a great point. I, I think it was both Rick Clun and then uh, certainly Dr. Jay McNamara, the author of Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, both said, uh, in so many words or less, if you don't think you're going to catch them, why even make a cast? You know, they, they were that emphatic about it. So appreciate you pointing that out. You know, here we are, first part of March, Bradley, as you prepare for uh, the Red Crest later this month. Grand in late March really sets up pretty wide open for a few, you know, strong technical that can be run all over the lake. What are you seeing in the crystal ball for Bradley Roy as you compete for the MLF's BPT championship event? You know, I'm trying to kind of watch the weather and see. It depends on what happens right before that tournament. You know, those fish could be thinking about spawning. I don't think they're going to be quite spawning or really thinking about it. I think they're going to be really late pre-spawn in that part of the country. And for me, I hope that's how it sets up because I think for me, that probably sets up a little bit better for my odds to win. But I'm I'm going to keep an open mind because that's a volatile time of year because it just really depends. You know, you're talking about a week or two this way or that way, uh, and those fish can really change their mind on what's going on. So it's just going to depend on weather, and I'm going to watch the weather. I'm going to see what happens if we have you know some cold days leading up before that. Uh, you know, maybe it's it's more of a pre-spawn, you know, shallow cranking spinnerbait type of thing. Otherwise, it could be they're a little closer to spawning. So we're just kind of going to have to see, but I'm definitely keeping an open mind. 
Yeah, I think that's the great thing about a championship on Grand Lake that time of year is that whatever happens, it can probably take place all over the lake, which opens it up for everybody. You know, obviously there's still some local advantage and that type of thing, but there's just so many different patterns and techniques that can occur that time of year. But once you get on the right technique, it seems like you can ride it on that lake. So it's it's going to be a great championship. Look forward to uh, watching you over there compete, obviously, Bradley, and, and hopefully you knock it out of the park. We're going to move into the Nitro Performance Bass Boats listener question segment. Uh, this question actually comes through our Instagram page. Steven Richter from Shamog, New Jersey, asks this question. It's kind of a tough one, Bradley. Steven says when the water temperatures are in the mid 40s, which obviously isn't very uncommon for New Jersey, <laughs> maybe a little yeah. bit uncommon and maybe not uncommon there in Kentucky either. Right. It still gets pretty cold. No, there it's Kentucky. not. Yeah, it, it gets pretty cold. Yeah. So when when water temps are in the mid 40s, where are the first places to begin looking for bass, particularly in a river type system? So, you know, the first thing that I know, sir, if you're asking about a river type system is current adds a, a little bit of a dynamic to it. If, if it's a strong current river, then I, I feel like those fish probably don't want to be in the strongest current when it's cold like that. Uh, they get in the wintertime, their metabolism just, you know, plummets. It hits the bottom. They don't have to eat all day long to uh, survive anymore. So they're going to get one good meal a day, and then they're kind of going to be lazy the rest of the day. So uh, I'm probably not going to look in the strongest of current, but whether it's a lake, river, uh, you have to analyze what body of water it is. If, if it's a, you know, lake that's got some deep channel drop-offs uh those fish probably move back out there to that you know where it's if it's a shallow water place where they don't have that opportunity they just pull back out to wherever they can feel comfort you know they try to get to the deepest place they can not necessarily the deepest place but get to where they have an option of shallow or deep because they can slide up and down and get something to eat so you have to analyze the body of water you're on uh i probably would stay away from super strong current but look for something where they could have access to shallow water if it was to warm up a little bit or have access to that deep water at the same time. Good stuff there, Bradley. Uh, appreciate you answering Stephen's question. Stephen, thank you for sending that in. And uh, good news is you're going to be receiving that Midway USA gift card where you can go and buy all things fishing, hunting, and the outdoors. One thing we do need from you, and that is to simply click on the Claim Your Prize tab there on BassEdge.com, letting us know that you heard Bradley answer your question right here on episode 371 or simply email us support at bassedge.com and we will get that sent out to you and as a reminder listeners you want to win a midway usa gift card it's easy to do just shoot those questions through our facebook page instagram or go to bassedge.com click on the ask the pros tab and just submit your question if you're chosen to be heard on the show we'll be sending you a gift card well bradley uh thanks again for being here on bass edge and uh certainly congratulations you know there on on that win it's awesome to see you get that first national tour win do you have any closing remarks or, th- or thoughts before we move into the final segment no i mean it's, it's great to talk to you guys i hope that we don't have to wait this long for me to win again so we can have this conversation again <laughs> absolutely bradley well, it's been great to have you on the show always bringing in the uh bass fishing knowledge and uh we'll be certain to use some of those tips in those springtime pre-spawn and it'll, it's going to help everybody catch more bass so enjoyed having you here best of luck at red crest for sure stay tuned folks aaron and i will return to close out this episode of bass edge radio 
know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it, power how you need it, power when you need it. Kurt, another episode jam-packed full of just uh, great information. I, I do kind of want your thoughts on this, but I do get the feeling that there was so much more that we could have talked about concerning the batteries and the powering and, and those kind of <laughs> things. But uh, I feel like we only scratched the surface, but I thought it was all very good information. We did. And, and a lot of that reason is because, you know, there's so many different applications for different consumers. You know, I mean, it's the gamut, you know, even when just finishing off that interview with Pate, he talked about they still recommend an AGM for the cranky battery. So, you know, it's not just all lithiums. It's not just all AGMs. There's a combination of different things that needs to happen for you to actually understand how to get the best power for your boat. And uh, yeah, it's a deep conversation and, and one that hopefully we'll, we'll get Pate back involved. But, but obviously, like Pate said, go to, you know, proguidebatteries.com. They've got the information. Uh, obviously, they're very, must be very quick to respond even on social. They must be very active there because he mentioned that several times. So I know a lot of us are, are involved on Instagram and Facebook. So uh, make sure you reach out to these folks and uh, just learn more. Even if you're not in the in the market to purchase, it's, it's good to understand that way when it comes down to if having some power issues with your boat, that you've got contacts for people that have the knowledge to answer the question correctly. Yeah, for sure. And then we had the uh, angler spotlight with uh, Bradley. Yeah, yeah, that was a great with, interview with Bradley Roy. Yes, and you know, to, it's so so fun when people look forward to talking with us, Kurt, because that means that he actually did very well at that tournament and obviously won it. So it was kind of neat to hear from him. Yeah, you know, and what was super cool about that from my perspective is just hearing him talk about the excitement of having the opportunity to catch some really big fish. You know, this time of year, the early spring, even in a extreme cold front situation like he saw with that Bass Pro Tour event, you know, not a lot of bites, but dude, I mean, he caught some megas. He caught I mean, some, and there were some other guys in that tournament that caught giant fish, you know? So it's, uh, it, it was really cool to see how he attacked it. Although he knew maybe he wasn't going to go out there and get a lot of bites. He concentrated in a particular area where he knew had 
migration routes, some of the targets, structure, and cover that he knew would have a population of fish around and then kind of stuck to it. You know, changed up some of those presentations, but uh, caught some big freaking fish, which everybody loves catch big fish. <laughs> uh, of course, of course. And, uh, you know, everybody loves gaining that knowledge. And I guess, uh, Kurt, we need to kind of shut this down so that people can get on with their days and hopefully Absolutely. put some of that right. knowledge to work, yes. right? right? So I'm uh, ready to hit the water. Ready to hit the water. Me too. For uh, Bass Edge Nation, be sure to stay on all things Bass Edge through all of our social media platforms, BassEdge.com, the store, all kinds of great stuff there. And in the meantime, we look forward to March 15th uh, around the corner. We'll have another great episode and uh, keep sending in those listener questions for your chance to win the Midway USA gift card if your question is chosen for Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. We look forward to seeing you March 15th. So long, everybody. The Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Midway USA, Mercury Marine, Power Pole, and Transport Graphics.